0: Hi, this is Pastor Joel Webbin with Right Response Ministries, and you're listening to another episode of Theology Apply. In this episode, I was privileged to have as a special guest, Jeff Childers. Jeff Childers is a practicing lawyer and a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, who has done a lot of work regarding the legality of mandated Vs on the private sector, as well now as school-aged children in public schools and soon-to-be private schools in the state of California. You're in for a real treat. That said, for anybody who is willing to support Right Response Ministries and give a donation of any amount, you can do so by going to rightresponseministries.com. Again, that's rightresponseministries.com. We are grateful for your prayers, grateful for your encouragement, and we need your financial support if you're able to do so. If not, would you please subscribe to our YouTube channel and share our content with your family and friends? That's another way to support us if you're not in a position to do so financially. And we are grateful for all the support that we get. Uh, That said, I want to mention to you a ministry called Carpe Fide, Carpe Fide, not Carpe Diem, but Carpe Fide, Seize the Faith. This is one of their shirts. They were recently at the G3 conference, and so maybe some of you who went to that conference may have seen them. Uh, This is Burn the Ships. It's from Cortez when he landed in Latin America. It's the legendary phrase that he uttered to his crew saying, Burn the Ships, symbolizing We're not going back. There is no retreat. We will only advance. So too, the people of Christ need to have that mindset. There is no retreat. There is no going back. We are pushing forward by the grace of God and the strength and courage he provides. Here's one more shirt from Carpe Fide. That's the back of the shirt, Carpe Fide. The front of the shirt says this, come and take it. Come and take it. This is the iconic phrase from King Leonidas as well as uh, the Texas fortress that was being defended, except they've replaced the picture of a cannon with the picture of a pulpit. This needs to be the cry of pastors and Christians when it comes to a tyrannical government and everyone who purchases one of these come and take it shirts from Carpe Fide, a portion of the proceeds is going actually to Pastor James Coates in Alberta, Canada, who said to his tyrannical government there, I'm not handing over the church. I'm not handing over the pulpit. I'm not handing over the preaching of God's word. If you want it, then you're going to have to come and take it because I'm going to preach God's word, hell or high water. I'm preaching Christ and him crucified. So everybody who buys one of those shirts, the come and take it shirts from Carpe Fide will be giving um, and supporting Pastor James Coates and his church in Alberta, Canada. All right, without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Theology Applied. Applying God's word to
1: every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. Theology Applied.
0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. As I already said, I am privileged to have as a special guest, Jeff Childers. He's a practicing lawyer, and is also a devoted follower of Christ, and I am very pleased to have you on the show. Welcome, Jeff. Would you take a moment and just introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Thanks, Pastor. Uh, I'm Jeff Childers, as you said. I have a small commercial litigation practice in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, We are located in a very... uh, uh, traditionally Democrat blue area, uh, which is a little unusual for Florida or at least how people outside of Florida think of it. Uh, about 18 months ago, um, when the first uh, mask mandates were passed, I, started, uh, I, I sued the county over that mask mandate. And um, as far as I know, I have the only appellate decision in the entire country finding that mandatory masking is presumptively unconstitutional. And as a result of that, um, I've gotten a lot of attention and more opportunities. And so we've been filing more cases. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, again, to my knowledge, I have the only uh, decision uh, that that, uh, entered a broad injunction against the city's vaccine mandate for its employees. So we were able to shut that down. And um you know again, for whatever reason, uh, I don't think anybody else in the country's done it yet, but we've we've solved that problem for government employers in Florida, and uh, I believe that that template will work in most other states, so people need to look into it um, We're now aiming at private employers, so uh probably within the next week or two we'll be filing a an emergency case against a uh, private hospital over in Pensacola.
0: Wow. Praise God for that. Well, I feel like if you were successful on, on in the government front of, of, you know, federal, you know, or government employees um, then the the private sector should be easier. Am I, am I right in my thinking with that? It's exactly opposite from that. So really, could you explain why?
1: I can. So the government, actors are all subject to constitutional limitations right our constitution and the constitution of each state is a uh, limitation on government with a couple of notable exceptions like the 13th and 14th amendments that that uh, restrain people from discriminating based on race everything else in the constitution is a restriction on government so you know all of those things the first amendment the you know, right to privacy and and all that stuff it doesn't apply to private actors, so we need different theories for private companies than we can use against the government. We have a lot more tools for government employees gotcha i
0: actors. I think I was thinking primarily of the you know employees in the private sector being non governmental employees and having certain privileges and rights but i I wasn't thinking of the employers, the corporations themselves being free market corporations that have more freedom. Um, so that yeah. makes sense. Well, so, so, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and you said that for you, like pretty much everybody else in, in the country and in the world, the Lord shook a lot of things up 18 months ago with COVID and, and changed, seems like your focus in your career and your practice, uh, vocation, all those things. But, um, even in, in the church world, um, you, you said that your wife and and you, you guys have, um, moved to, a, a another church. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so, um, and I don't know how far back to start, but I know you know this, but I don't know how many of your your viewers know. But I wrote a an article called "What the Church Needs to Know About COVID-19," and it went viral. Um, I was deplatformed from you know two of my platforms that I was on because of that article. Now I've been writing about COVID every single day. In my daily blog for a year and a half, and never was deplatformed. It was only when I wrote that article about the church uh, that I got deplatformed. And that that article, notwithstanding um, getting thrown off of a couple platforms, that's uh, over a million views on that now. Wow! And um, it, it sort of uh, it, it was given to me, and maybe I should, you know, if we have time, I'll, I can tell you how that came to be, because I think that's um, you know, helpful sort of in understanding the big picture. Um, yeah, go go ahead. So I went to a, um, a small conservative leadership meeting in Central Florida a few months ago. And there were only about 40 people there. And, you know, the CEO of America's Frontline Doctors was there and the CEO of uh, Project Veritas was there and, Um, You know, somehow I got an invitation. Um, Several of us were what they called opinion makers. Right. And I guess my my daily blog somehow, you know, qualified me. It was very providential. And there was a pastor there uh, who was introduced as uh, you know, and each of us had to stand up and, you know, give our little bio and and introduce ourselves to the group. And but somebody introduced each person. And this pastor was introduced as a pastor with guts Hmm. and something about that phrase really grabbed me. Right. And and I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. So that's what I wrote down in my notes. I wrote pastors with guts and I circled it and put a star next to it. And when I got back uh, to Gainesville uh, that next Monday, um, one of my friends, who's a retired pastor, was reacting to something totally uh, separate, not connected at all, that I'd written in my blog, and he, and he texted me, uh, you know, Jeff, what should we do about this? And um, you know, I, I need another project like a hole in the head, right? So
0: mm-hmm. I
1: texted him back, and and for some reason, right, I was so convicted by that that little phrase, I texted him back and I said, we need more pastors with guts. And so, of course, he texted me right back and said, well, what should we do about that? Yeah, I said, well, why don't you make a list of all the pastors with guts that you know, and let's see what we have to work with. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days went by, and I didn't hear anything about it. And I had sort of forgotten about it. And then I get a text from him, and he says, hey, what are you doing next Thursday? And, you know, I could—I had some things on the calendar, but I could move them around. And I said, well, I could I could get loose, but what do you need? And He said, well, I'd like you to come and talk to a group of uh, directors of the uh, North Central Florida Baptist Association that together supervise about 450 churches. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, "Okay." and something, you know, that's not something I normally do. Right. I'm the lawyer. But something convicted me in that moment. And and so I agreed to do it. Well, fast forward to the next week. I hadn't had any time to get prepared, and it was the uh, Wednesday night before the Thursday meeting where I was supposed to speak, and uh, it was nine o'clock, and I usually, I get up at 4.30 in the morning, so I usually try to get to bed before 10, and it was already nine, so I sat down to just write, you know, try to write a little outline of what I might say to these these, uh, pastors who supervise all these churches. And instead, what happened was I opened up PowerPoint and 47 slides came out, one after another, fully formed, just perfect. I haven't given that talk many times now, and I've never really changed anything except updating some of the data. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a message that was delivered to me right Mm in that moment. So... I went out and I gave the, the talk and it was very similar. It's a, it's a little bit longer format with more detail than what's in the article, but it was more or less the, the contents of that article. And I totally convicted all those guys. Hmm. Um, I really completely changed the way that they were looking at the pandemic and how they were ministering to folks and how they were leading their, you know, their pastors that they supervised and everything. Hmm. Um, So I wound up giving that talk a few more times to successively larger groups of pastors. And I got the same response every time. You know, I just really um, and as an attorney, as a litigating attorney, uh, you know, I talk to juries. I talk to judges. Right. I'm good at at persuasive um, public presentations. Right. Uh, But it was the material there's just no arguing with it. Right. And it's scripturally based. And, um, you know, there's not, I've had a few questions at the end. Like one pastor asked me, uh, he's like, well, Jeff, uh, you know, I only get them for a couple of hours on Sunday and then they're back out in the world and they're watching CNN and they're, you know, they're getting all this programming and uh, you know, I just don't have any way to influence that. And I said, pastor, all right, I'm going to blow your mind, okay? Said, so what I'm suggesting to you is that if you will get out of the church and if you will go down to the school board and you will deliver a fiery three-minute sermon to those school board members, somebody's going to videotape it on their phone and they're going to put it on YouTube and you're going to get a million views. Mm-hmm. I said, pastor, there's, you have never had an opportunity like this in your life, in history ever, right? But you've got to get out there. You've got to go where you're needed. You've got to take the gospel, put it in a suitcase and take it down to the school board, right? So those are the, those were the kinds of questions that I I would get in the answers. Um, I had one pastor, uh, who's also from Texas who called me up and he said, Jeff, uh, you know, and he had read my article and everything, and he was convicted by it. But again, still not quite, you know, getting it. And he called me up and he said, Jeff, uh, I'm getting all these. You know, I did, I did a YouTube. I was, uh, you know, um, I was encouraged by your your article. So I did this YouTube about religious exemptions. And now I'm getting calls from all over the country of people, random people that I've never met and I don't know. And they want me to write them a letter, a religious exemption letter, right? And he said, I'm really conflicted because on the one hand, I want to help them. But on the other hand, I don't know them. And I don't really I don't know that I can honestly attest that they have a sincerely held religious belief about this. And so I said, Pastor, you're, you're still you're doing good, but you're still not getting it right. I said, Pastor, you're the bronze serpent. You're being held up for people to look at and be healed. So when they call you up, it's not about you trying to intuit whether they're sincerely held. You need to convert them on the phone. You tell them, hey, listen, I'd be happy to write you that letter, but first we're gonna have to do this sinner's prayer, right? And I'm gonna have to give you a little theology lesson here and you're gonna have to do the steps with me so that I can honestly say that you have a sincerely held religious belief. And he was like, wow. It's like, yeah, you're right. I never thought of it like that. I said, you've got these opportunities. I said, pastor, they're coming to you. They're coming to you, right? When was the last time that happened that you had this many people rushing to you to be converted to Christ? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, um, well, let's, let's go, let's
0: real quick. Let's get into the the article a little bit. Let, let's first. Could you let our listeners know because some of them are going to be like, "What's this article? I want to read it." Um, I read it, and that's why I I reached out to you, and wanted to have you on the show because I thought it was incredibly well written, and and not just the theology behind it and the biblical imperatives, um, that, how we should be thinking as Christians, but. But you had so much substance, and you—you were—it was written by a lawyer. You know, you could tell. Like you were substantiating your claims, um, providing—you know—biblical persuasion, but but then also evidence for um, why these things are. It's not just business as usual. It's not just your typical vaccine. And, and so, so first, where, where can where can people go and find this article?
1: So um, they would go to my blog's website, which is www.coffeeandcovid.com. Hmm. And it's a daily uh, summary of news that I write. And um, you, they, people are welcome to, to look at old uh, uh, blog posts and see if they like it. And if they do, they can sign up. But there's a tab on there called Faith in COVID. And if they click on Faith in COVID, then that'll take them to a page where they can see my article Again, which is called What the Church Needs to Know About COVID-19 and What to Do About It. Mm.
0: Right. So what what does the church need to know about COVID-19? I, I have here written as a question that I wanted to ask you, you know, because <laughs> part of what you got at, you know, and part of what some other guys are, you know, Project Veritas and some people are starting to slowly but surely blow the lid off of some of these things. And so w- one of my questions would be this. If there are safe and effective treatments for COVID, and if COVID is not as dangerous as many people believe it is, what's the incentive then for the government, the medical establishment, mainstream media to continue to push the jab instead of taking the, the infamous horse tranquilizer pill as they like to as they like to present it you know what what is the incentive why why is that always, why is the push if there are these other avenues what what do you think the incentive is what's behind this whole thing
1: i would add two two more to your list i would say okay. we also know now that the uh, covid injections don't prevent the spread of covid that's right and that I was that. That's exactly opposite to what they told us through may of this year that's right May of this year Fauci was out there saying you won't get COVID if you take the injection right and Um, it was your duty your duty to your neighbor
0: and then pastors I call them evangelifish pastors you know the the ones (laughs) with no spine Um, they immediately picked up that that talking point from Fauci and it was love your neighbor love your neighbor but now we know that it's not just that you can get the virus and the CDC has said this and people are getting taken off of YouTube this episode might be taken down from YouTube for repeating uh, what the director of the CDC has said you know and so but the it is a fact that that you can get covid if you're taking or if you've had the vaccine you can still get covid and not only that but you can transmit so you can contract and you can transmit which means the whole idea of loving your neighbor Right? You're not just getting the vaccine for self-preservation, which that's always the way we thought about vaccines is primarily it's self-preservation. So that I don't get polio, so that I don't get smallpox. But, but it's not only self preservation, but the big pushing point from Fauci and from Joe Biden, you know, it's your American duty. You know, we need everybody to participate and pastors pick up that talking point and wrap some Christian knees around it with loving your neighbor. But the reality is not only can you contract the virus still if you've had the vaccine, but you can, you can also transmit it to others. And so all of a sudden, I mean, if we're thinking about it logically, that entire talking point, I feel like is, Disappeared. Uh, I, I know you were you were speaking, but I just I, I wanted to throw that out there. What, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, and and so I think that undermines one of the two prongs supporting the entire rationale for the injections, and the second prong, which is has also been undermined, is the prong that says we need to use the injections to get to herd immunity, hmm. because now we know we cannot get to herd immunity with these drugs they will not do it.
0: Explain that. How how do we know that? Explain
1: that, please. Well, for the, for one thing, the reason that you just mentioned, the fact that you can still get and transmit the disease is one reason we can't get to herd immunity with the drugs, right? Um, With the polio vaccine and the smallpox vaccine, those are what are called sterilizing vaccines, okay? Which means they create an immunity in you. You become sterile and visible to the virus. The virus just goes right by you. It doesn't even see you anymore because you've been sterilized to it. And that's why why you only take the measles vaccine when you're a kid. You only need it once, right? It lasts your whole life. You become sterilized. Well, other vaccines are called leaky, leaky vaccines. The flu vaccine is a good example of a leaky vaccine. It does not give you immunity to the flu, right? Every year you need to take a new one and it may not even work that well. It might only reduce the symptoms a little bit. It might not do anything, okay? So um, the problem, there's a big problem with leaky vaccines. Leaky vaccines are like antibiotics that don't work super well. So if an antibiotic doesn't work really well, it's gonna leave some bacteria in you. And then what does that bacteria do? It mutates. It begins to evolve to get around the antibiotic. And what do we get? We get things called antibiotic resistant strains, right? We've been hearing about this our whole lives, right? What do they tell us about taking antibiotics? Don't do it unless you really need to. Why? Because it's gonna create more antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. Viruses work exactly the same way. So if you have a leaky vaccine, then what you're doing is, the more you use that leaky vaccine, just like overuse of antibiotics, overuse of a leaky vaccine will create more vaccine resistant strains, not fewer. To get to herd immunity, you need a sterilizing vaccine like the polio vaccine or the measles vaccine or the smallpox vaccine, then you begin taking people out of the population as they get vaccinated. And the, and the number of potential victims gets smaller and smaller until the virus doesn't have anywhere to go. And then you've got herd immunity, right? Real, real quick question with that.
0: For those who have natural immunity. So my wife and I and our three daughters, we all got COVID. It was our our Christmas present uh, last year. We all got COVID just a couple of days after. And, you know, our, our middle daughter, it kind of surprised us because, you know, most kids, it doesn't affect them very much. But our middle daughter, you know, she was really sick for, for a couple of days, you know, like the sickest that we've seen her, but still, you know, fine. She's healthy now. She's fine. She got through it. You know, it was like a bad flu for her. And me and my wife, we were fine. And then our other two kids, like, if we didn't have it and if we didn't see them, you know, like have a a drippy nose, like once we, we wouldn't even know that, you know, so anyways, we all got it and, and we've been fine now, you know, and we've, we haven't gotten again. And I keep hearing that, you know, it's anywhere from six times to 13 times more effective than the vaccine, the natural immunity by having the virus. My question though, is, um, is that, does that function though, the same way that a leaky virus would function? Meaning by me having COVID, could, could, could I still contract it and, and, and have less symptoms because I've had COVID before in a way that would force the virus to mutate? My, my question is, those who are getting the vaccine... In some ways, they're making it worse is what you're getting at. It's, it's not going to get us to herd immunity. Um, it's, it's actually creating, it's fostering this environment to where the, the virus is going to mutate and, and there's going to be more mutations and, and some may even be worse mutations. But those who actually have natural immunity, are they doing the same thing to the virus, causing it to mutate like those who've, who've received the vaccine? Or is there a difference?
1: No, the only way we're going to get through this is through natural immunity. Okay. Could you explain that? Yeah. Yeah. So folks who have recovered from COVID like your family has, and like my family has, we had it in December too. And my
0: kids,
1: (laughs) my kids kept getting it, you know, in stages. So we wound up being in quarantine for a month. Um, Every every time another kid would get it, we would have to uh, reset the clock for two more weeks. Right. Um, But, but folks who have recovered, they do disappear from the potential pool of victims. And they make the, the potential pool of remaining victims smaller. And I, I read an article um, just the other day, uh, and you know one of the, the main expert epidemiologists was saying that, that the only way out of the pandemic was to vaccinate people and for them then to get COVID. And so they can develop natural antibodies, right? Mm-hmm. There was a Project Veritas video Uh, One of these exposés just the other day where you had Pfizer scientists talking on camera. They thought they were talking to a pretty girl and she was recording it, right? And he explained it perfectly, right? He, He said the Pfizer vaccine only protects against the spike protein, which is just one tiny part of the virus, whereas your natural antibodies protect you against the entire virus, spike proteins and all, and the inside and the outside. So your body recognizes any part of it. Whereas that these COVID injections only recognize that original wild form spike protein. And so the more that changes, the less effect those COVID injections have at all. So we have a leaky vaccine that's actually creating more and worse variants, right? And it's not sterilizing people. So they're still passing it around. But that's not all. There's a whole nother big problem that, that like almost nobody ever talks about a- and it's a killer for herd immunity through the animals? The animals. Ah, I knew it. <laughs> so because I read your article. <laughs> well, it's the animal reservoirs, right? And and what do we see? I just read I reported in my blog today about the Smithsonian Zoo, every one of their big cats tested positive for COVID last month. 100 percent of them right uh something like they tested uh white-tailed deer which are in 49 states the only state you can't find a white-tailed deer in is in alaska and so they captured you know these game animals and they tested them for covid and guess what proportion of those white-tailed deer tested positive for covid i don't know 40 percent wow almost half okay so as long as the virus can, can go out into the animals, it has a safe place to sit while we're busy running around injecting everybody with these COVID injections. So let's say that somehow we could inject every man, woman, and child on the planet in one day, just get it all over with, right? Joe Biden's, you know, fantasy, right? 99% Nine injected. Well, right. the animals would just give it right back to us because you can't vaccinate all those animals. And the reason you can't vaccinate the animals, among other reasons, is because they don't respond to shaming or threats of loss of employment. (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, So herd immunity through COVID injections is a myth. And and I think that most experts are not even arguing for that anymore. And you're, you're even starting to see countries like you know, New Zealand recently uh, said they're, they've given up on COVID zero. They actually had a COVID zero policy. Yeah, which and- was insane. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and the reason they're having to give up on, they don't want to give up on it, but they don't have a, a therapy to get them to COVID zero. They can't beat leaky vaccines and animal reservoirs. There's nothing they can do about that. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Israel, uh, arguably the most vaccinated nation on the planet, it's it's not it's not ultimately stopping the virus. You may have less hospitalizations, but at the end of the day, like it's you still see massive spikes in the Delta variant and cases and things like that. And so it's not. It seems as though the virus is not going away. So the question is, how do we live with it uh, in a way that would slow the virus down and and protect people from those severe side effects that might end, you know, cause us to end up in the hospital or, or die, you know. And it sounds like, like the way that you get there, is by, by getting the virus, not by getting the jab, but by actually getting the virus. And for those who are vulnerable, um, you know, we can still protect and isolate those who are incredibly vulnerable um, without having to, you know, bench our entire working class. Um, and completely, you know, destroy our economy. Um, but then also there, there are certain treatments, especially for, for, that anybody could, you know, most people could be able to to use. But especially those who are, who are vulnerable that, um, that are worried that if, if I got the virus that I, you know, I might be one of the statistics that actually, you know, died from it. Uh, can, can you talk about some of those? What, what are some of the, the treatments? And, and why, I, again, I guess my question is just, again, what is the incentive? Why? what like if if ivermectin you know for instance if if it really is helpful what benefit what incentive does does joe biden and the, you know the democratic platform have in in suppressing that news if if it's true why why would they
1: why well so you're asking me to speculate about what's going on inside their minds, which of course I have <laughs> no access to. Right. Um, I think, you know, an easy, obvious answer is that uh, Ivermectin is currently off patent. It's available for about $3 a dose hmm. and um, nobody's making any money from it. Right. And so the people who have their hands on the levers of power right now, many of them also have financial stakes in you know pharmaceutical companies and things like that now i'm not accusing anybody of anything i don't know i have no way of knowing what what we right. can perceive though is it it seems irrational from the outside and we also know they're not explaining why right, right. they you know when they call ivermectin a horse dewormer that's that's insulting everybody who's listening we all know that right that's the last thing that it is it it just in 2015 they gave that drug which has been available since the 70s in 2015 they gave it the nobel prize in
0: medicine the nobel prize
1: right not for because of because of the incredible benefit
0: that that drug has produced for horses nobel prize right it was because of the horses mm-hmm. right they, they just love horses so much they're like let's give it a nobel no, I'm Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead sorry
1: Yeah, exactly, and and I love your sarcastic sense of humor, Um, (laughs) and and so we can all see that nobody's nobody's being fooled by by these silly you know media narratives. And I don't think Joel, I don't think those media narratives are for people like you and me. I think those media narratives are for the people who are terrified of COVID, right? And they need something, and they accept anything that the CDC says. Right. The CDC is their source of truth, right? They call it the gold standard. And whatever the CDC says, no matter how many times it reverses itself or, you know, the, the New York Times at times has had to debunk the CDC, like with the outdoor transmission thing. Right. The New York yep. Times called them out on that. Right. right? And uh, and um, NPR called them out on saying that uh, the Delta variant was as transmissible as chickenpox. It's not even mm. close. Right. Mm-hmm. So the CDC can say all of these things that are, you know, factually inaccurate. What do we what do we call people who say things that aren't true? False prophets, liars. Uh, you said it. I, I didn't say it. <laughs> so. Uh, false witness. Yeah, <laughs> I could go on yeah. unre, unreliable at best. And That's right. but that doesn't seem to bother half the population in this country. Mm hmm no matter how many times the CDC reverses direction gets caught saying something that isn't true intentionally or unintentionally, right? If they did it unintentionally, they're negligent. That's not better, right? If you crash into somebody in your car because you're not paying attention and kill them, are you going to walk away from it because it was an accident? Cause you, you know, you just made a mistake. Are you off the hook? No, no. of course not. Right. And, and so why is the CDC off the hook for being negligent about the information that it's providing to us about the worst pandemic in our lifetimes? Right. So, you know, you're you're asking me, I think there's a bigger answer to your your question. And that is that I don't think we're really dealing with a medical problem. I don't think we're dealing with a biological problem. I don't think we're dealing with a scientific problem. I think what we're really dealing with is a spiritual problem. Mm. I believe that there is a demonic spirit of fear that is suffocating the earth. And it it is providing a strong delusion to a lot of people. Right? The people who are wearing double masks outside. Right. how do you explain that Mm -hmm. and the politicians who are doing things that that everybody knows are irrational and don't work we know lockdowns don't work we know lockdowns actually kill people Mm -hmm. in greater numbers than COVID ever will and yet they're still ordering lockdowns and still talking about lockdowns how is that possible right it's because there is not rational thought that's going on. It's a kind of possession. It's a possession by a spirit of fear. And the problem is, you know, if only, Joel, if only we had some kind of organization, you know, some kind of maybe <sighs> worldwide network that was devoted to dealing with spiritual problems, you right. know, and if we could just somehow activate that organization to fight that. Well, what if it closed
0: down? <laughs> shouldn't have.
1: Yes, it yeah, shouldn't we, have. We need
0: the church. You're right. We need the church. Yeah. I can't help but think of, I, I think, I can't remember if this was in your article, Jeff, but Hebrews 2, I believe it's verses 14 and 15, somewhere in there, but Hebrews chapter 2, where it says that, speaking of Christ, it says that he too partook of the same nature, that he put on flesh and the likeness of man, um, so that, he ultimately so that he could die, so that through his death um, he might conquer him who has authority over death, that is, the devil, and free, it says, and free those who were held in lifelong slavery to the fear of death. So Jesus took on flesh so that he could die, so that through his death he could conquer the one who has authority over death, the devil, and free lifelong slaves. Who who the the chains that are binding them and holding them in this lifelong slavery is fear of death. And and I read that and I think, okay, yeah, that's you know, that's a depiction of the pagan, the unbeliever, the person who does not know and love Christ. But then, but then when I when I'm you know witnessing this as a pastor in real time, and, and I can and I can see very little distinction between believers and unbelievers in terms of how afraid they are and very little distinction between talking heads with cnn and and talking heads uh pastors on you know who are now live streaming their churches then then all of a sudden i'm just like is this even real like are are we are we doing this or not are we following jesus are we, you know like because I thought it was for real I thought this whole Jesus thing being a Christian you know I thought it was, I thought this was real and it turns out I've been sorely mistaken the last 18 months I've realized that you know for a lot of people it's just a game it's just a religious social club it, they're not following Jesus for real and you know that, that doesn't mean that some people might not be weak faiths so that doesn't mean they're all false converts. there is such a thing as the weak convert right the smoldering wick, the bruised reed. And Christ is tender and merciful towards them. And so we don't need to just beat them all up. But it is disheartening. It is discouraging. And we need pastors to, you don't just coddle the smoldering wick, right? So you don't snuff it out, but you also don't leave it there either. You, you, you blow on it and fan it into flame. You know, you, you, you stir it up. and um, And
1: yeah. You remember that apocryphal story from the um you know uh, the soviet communist era and it goes like this it's uh you know a group of soldiers runs into a church right that's packed for for a secret worship and they fling open the doors and they they aim their guns at the congregation and they say anybody who doesn't want to be killed in two minutes you better get out and so half the congregation runs out the door And they come in and they close doors behind them and they lock the doors. And then they put their guns down and go and kneel in front of the, uh, the pastor and ask to pray and ask him to pray over them. And they said, we just had to get all the fake Christians out of here. (laughs) I've never heard that. Yeah. It's, and I didn't do it justice. So you'll have to look it up sometime that, that, you know, when somebody tells the story better than me, it's even more convicting, but Um, what I've been telling pastors and you, so you, you explain this to me. Okay. So when I, when I talk to the pastors, I say, listen, pastors, you're my, you're my brothers. I love you. I have the greatest respect for you and you have a very difficult job. I said, but I am begging you. If I have to hear one more sermon about five takeaways from the book of Joshua and how to apply it to my marriage, When I'm looking around the church at people who are terrified they're going to lose their job because they won't take this injection that they don't want, or they're frantic because they're sending their kids to a mask and they know it's causing their kids to to grow anxiety disorders, right? And they promised the kids that the kids wouldn't have to wear the mask anymore, but then the government put it back. And now they're having to break their promises to their kids and they're worried about that. I'm looking at grandparents whose kids won't let them come and visit their grandkids because they're not vaccinated. Right. And you're up there telling us about, you know, uh, you know, six things to learn from Exodus 23. So when are you going to talk about what's happening? Hmm. These people are coming to you for spiritual comfort and guidance. And you are talking to them about something completely unrelated. They don't care anything about right now. Right. And well, I have an answer for that. I know, I, I, I'm
0: pretty sure I know exactly what that is, and it's something that I've been battling for, for quite a while now. But um, it's a long time ago, in this nation at least, a long time ago, the church transitioned from Christ being Lord of all to Christ being Lord of my heart. It's a private lordship. Um, that's that's jurisdiction goes no further than the confines of your heart. That's why every Christian conference is on Marriage and parenting, right? It's always the home and beyond that, the church. And so how to church growth conferences or, or church health conferences or expositional preaching conferences for pastors, you know, so there's, you know, which is good. I'm an expositional preacher. Um, I go through books of the Bible. It's, I don't think it's that... um because I because I could preach the heck out of Exodus 23 in a way that I think you Jeff would be like this is what people need to hear. I don't think the problem is is the text, and I know you're not saying that. Uh, the problem is application. So what I always tell pastors is this: I say good preaching is composed of three parts: it's it's revelation, interpretation, application. Revelation: uh, the pastor doesn't come before the people and say I have a dream. He doesn't say I have an idea or I have a strategy. He says I have a text. So the revelation is is. The Word of God—it's the infallible revelation. Now, the pastor can mess it up um, on the next two steps. So, the revelation is good if he comes with a text, but then there's interpretation. That's a faithful exegesis. What, what does God mean by this text? What's the extracting the principles, the theological principles in the text? Now, the problem is a lot of faithful preachers in America—I think they stop right there. Uh, but but what happens is if you have a text and an interpretation, a good interpretation of the text. All you've provided for your people on the Lord's Day is a 45 to 60-minute audible commentary, but not a sermon. Because a sermon goes beyond just explaining the meaning of the text. It gets from revelation, interpretation, to application. It applies the text, and it applies the text as far as the bounds of Christ's lordship go, which is everywhere right? So you, and, and so I think some guys, they'll say, here's the text, here's the meaning of the text. And if they ever apply it at all, they apply it to home and church, home and church, marriage, parenting, pastors, leaders in the church, member, church membership, tithing to the church, right? So serving the church, giving to the church, being involved in the church, and then being a good wife, being a good husband, being a good dad, being a good mother. Um, But they don't apply it beyond that, and and we've had this adage being said, you know, it's it's pretty old, it's ancient at this point, but that you know politics need to be out of the pulpit, you know, Uh, and but what I always tell people is the statement Jesus is Lord is the most political statement that's ever been made in the universe. Um, Christ is Lord, and the reason why Christians in Rome were losing their lives, uh, you know, when they were saying. Uh, that Jesus is lord not not caesar not kaiser curios but uh, Jesus being lord they were losing their lives because C- caesar didn't care he didn't care about gods there were there were, there were tons of gods they were polytheists he didn't care about them the problem is that Christ this god claimed to be king that's the same reason herod tried to kill all the babies that's the same re- like uh, the reason why political leaders are threatened um, is is with a religion that has an application to every realm of life, a civil application, a familiar. So yes, there is home in the church, but there's a, there's an ecclesiastic um, application, a familial application, a political application, an economic application. Like the Bible says, says something about economics. The Bible says um, not just to give our money, but it also says how to build wealth and what's ethical and what's not ethical. The Bible has something to say about all this, um, to where, where as a Christian, I, I can't. Like you know like when you think oh, well you could vote for this candidate or that can- candidate no you can't no you can't it's not a no the bible is really clear it's not a 30 page pamphlet it's 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 a big book it's 66 books it's massive and it has a lot to say uh, besides just jesus being lord of your precious little heart so i i would say the solution is uh, that pastors need to start getting into that third element of preaching application and And applying the Gospel and applying god 's law as well god 's law is not a means of salvation. Um, the Gospel is the only means of salvation, but god 's law is what the Christian does not to earn salvation but what the Christian does in in gratitude for the free salvation they have in Jesus Christ and so we need to preach both law and gospel and and then we need to preach both god 's law and his gospel. Uh, with an application to every every arena of human society and, and human life. And that includes the political sphere. And it includes whether or not parents or governments have the right for for what gets injected in their children. God God's word addresses that. It does. And and so I, I think it's that pastors have bought into this the politics and religion are separate. I don't want to lose my five hundred one C three. We could talk about that. I think that's that's an issue. You know, I don't want to lose our five hundred one C three, and we're, we're really right. just a religious what arm. Are,
1: what man are you afraid of, Pastor? Right, right. Yeah, that's the question. And yeah, so, who are you afraid of? Yeah, Go ahead, back back to you. Are you supposed to fear the man who can destroy the body, or is there? I thought there was somebody else that you were supposed to fear more than that. I, you know, I can't remember right now. Uh, somebody right. important, I think so <laughs> it's but it's much much worse than this so what I'm telling you is that the preaching it may be perfectly sound preaching for when you're not in a pandemic with tremendous government tyrannical overreach okay but that's not where we are we're in a pandemic with tremendous government tyrannical overreach and how are we supposed to respond as Christians to that who's going to tell us because the guy up in the pulpit's not saying anything about it, he's pretending there is no pandemic, right? Right? He's preaching business as usual about marriage and the family, and you know, tithing, you know, being a servant in the church and a servant leader, and you know, and all those recycled themes that you get over and over and over and over again. And he's not talking about the pandemic. He's not talking about people getting fired from their jobs. And what are we going to do? Everybody's worried because they won't be able to go in the hospital if they're not vaccinated. Right. Or their or their loved one is going to get taken off the kidney transplant list. And what does the church have to say about that? Right. Are we going to get together? Are we going to reach out to our brothers and sisters who are being discriminated against and support them? Are we going to build parallel systems for them? Are we going to bring our our doctors and nurses who are who are, you know, our brothers and sisters in to help and set up little field hospitals and things? I mean, what are we doing? Right. And the pastors just happily. Talking about, you know, ways to improve your marriage and, you know, be a better dad and thing and, and it's like, you want a recipe for making the church irrelevant. That's the recipe on steroids. Yeah. yeah. It's not relevant,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's even worse than that. I wish I w- I could say that was the worst part, but it's so much worse. It's the heresies. Right you mentioned one of them before wear your mask because Jesus said to love your neighbor, right? That's, that's not sound theology. No, that's heretical theology, right? That's some kind of based theology. I don't even know what that is and it's not good. It's very, whatever it is is incredibly unseemly. And what about over and over and over again, I've been in churches during covid And I've heard the pastor say, well, we've had another tragedy. Betty Sue, who's been in our church for 40 years, was 92, but was taken by COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I'm like, what church is this again? I thought I was in a Christian church. Right. Death is not a tragedy, death is a door. And, And saying that she was taken by COVID. Who's in charge? COVID? No, God is in charge. God took Betty Sue. We believe he, you know, he's, he's not confused or surprised or, you know, unaware of the COVID it's all part of the plan. It's been written in history from the beginning. He sees the whole thing. He's in control, not COVID. What, what kind of crazy heresy is that? And how did it get in our churches?
0: No, you're right. Yeah. Betty Sue was taken by God first and foremost in the ultimate sense because he's sovereign over all things. And Betty Sue was taken by by providentially God first and foremost through the agency of time. She was 92. <laughs> you know, people die. You know, I, like we don't want to be cold or or calloused or insensitive about that, but people die. And if this was, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like if if this was just, you know like smallpox you know like if or or even like the spanish flu 100 years ago and the way churches responded i mean you can look at this it's documented you can see like the way that churches and christians and pastors responded 100 years ago to the spanish flu which was not a respecter of persons uh, this the spanish flu was taking out uh, teenagers and children um and and you look at the way church, churches stopped meeting like like the the majority of churches in america they stopped meeting for 3 weeks and then they were back at it. Not because they had a vaccine, not because they had a, but, but because they figured out what it was. They realized we're going to live with it. Um, but if we got to live with this, with this disease, let us, let us not live without God. <laughs> you know, so like, and that's what we've opted for. It's like, all right, so you got a bunch of people who still haven't come to terms that we're just going to have to live with COVID. Um, so the bunch of people who haven't come to terms, with we're going to live with COVID. Um, and so, what they've been content to do, this, and the church had the choice. It's like you can you can try to live without COVID, get to a point where we, there's zero COVID, like New Zealand, which is just preposterous. Um, and the only thing you have to give up to get to get no COVID is to also have no God. And and many Christians and many pastors were willing to make you know they were like, okay. I give up God to get rid of COVID. Okay, whereas I'd rather live with God and live with COVID. You know, like life is always a risk. Every time we step out our door, there's a million different things. He numbers our heads, uh, the hair, the hair on our head. He he knows the number of our days. Like he's sovereign over all these things. That doesn't mean we want to be foolish or we want to be stupid. But what it does mean is that God is in control. And and if you look throughout, I I hated when pastors. I remember this too when they were misquoting. You know, like. Martin Luther and guys who lived, you know, even Charles Spurgeon, I think it was colic and there were different things going on in his day, you know, different diseases, different plagues. Um, and, you know, there were quotes that said, I'm not going to go somewhere unless I'm needed, unless my presence is needed, because I, I don't want by, by accident um, to, you know, to harm my neighbor, to, you know, to spread the virus. And, and those are true quotes by those men, but there are massive distinctions. Number one, they, they weren't talking about the Lord's Day worship. They weren't talking about shutting down the church. They were talking about going and visiting people who were vulnerable and ill in such a way that you might in, in, inflict pain on them. And number two, and I, I hate to say it like this, but those guys were, were making those quotes in the midst of serious illness. And, I, and a virus that primarily kills 80-year-olds is just not, it's just not the same.
1: Explain to me the Christian justification for what we've done to the widows and orphans by putting them in solitary confinement, right, in their nursing homes, in their hospitals, and not letting them see their relatives, right, while they die of depression. Okay, give me the Christian case for that. Why isn't the pastor down there demanding to get into the hospital? What's the Christian just loving your neighbor? Oh, we don't want to scare our neighbors because they think if we go in the hospital to visit these these elderly people, then we're going to spread the virus and they might get sick. Right? Meanwhile, they're literally dying in there. Right. And where are the pastors saying one thing about it? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it justified? Is it unjust? Should we change it? Should anybody even consider something different? You know, should we Take people, should we agree to take them into the church if they can't, you know, get their their uh, the attention that they need in the hospital? Should we be taking over? Where's the discussion? Right? Where is, what happened to the church? Where is it? We were doing all these things in the first century. We created the hospitals. That's right. Yeah. So... You, you put your finger on it you know. immediately when we started talking about this. And you said, you were quoting Hebrews, and you said that, that Christ came to earth and took human form to remove the fear of death from man, right? But mm-hmm. too many Christians that I see are terrified of death.
0: You're right. Yep, you're absolutely right.
1: They're putting that mask on not not to save their neighbor because they think it somehow protects them, which is totally irrational. Right? which isn't even a rational thought, which isn't Christian right there. Right? We believe in rationality. But they're doing it to protect themselves. That's why you've got one person sitting in the pew wearing a mask.
0: In, in two regards, they're protecting themselves in two regards because they, they, they fear two things. You're, you're right. It's, it's not to protect their neighbor's physical safety. It's to protect themselves, in some cases to protect their own physical safety because they're afraid of death. Or it's to protect their reputation because they're afraid of man. So it's either the virtue, right? They're wearing it. So some people are doing it because they're they're afraid of getting sick. And it's that back to what you're saying, the fear of death, and that's a major problem. And then others don't even they're not even wearing it for that reason. They they know, they know it's irrational, and they know that it's not gonna protect them, and they know that they're fine. They're a 30-year-old, healthy person that it, you know. But for them, they're trying to protect their their reputation. They're trying to protect their image and, and what man says about them. So was the fear of death, or the, or the fear of death, or the fear of man? I think those, I think those are the two really big ones that sadly we have seen that um, you would expect the church to be more resilient. The church is made up of of sinners saved by grace, and so we we have temptations also. But still, you would expect the saving grace of Christ and his sanctifying power in the life of believers you would expect that group of people to be more resilient to the fear of death and the fear of man and sadly i think i think we've we've seen that when it comes to the unbeliever and the believer that, that it doesn't look like there is much distinction
1: it's hard to tell the difference isn't it and you know the most freeing thing that ever happened to me becoming a Christian is losing my, my fear of death. Now I'm not so hot about the idea of dying. (laughs) Right. Right. But I'm not afraid of death. And, uh, how, how liberating is that? I mean, you know, it's just like, there's nothing better than that. That's the most unbelievable gift that we could have possibly been given is not to have that, that fear. And yet so many Christians, this pandemic has shown are terrified of dying. They'll do anything the government wants them to do if it just keeps them alive a little bit longer. Listen, I got bad news for them. They're going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die. That's right. Coming. Amen. Right? And then so, the judgment. Yeah, and then the judgment. And so what are you clinging to, Christian? Right? You a, a couple more years, right? You you're aware you could die in a car wreck tomorrow or a, have an embolism or, you know, God can take you any number of ways, anytime he wants, right. You're not going to cheat death by putting that mask on. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. He'll take you when it's your time, whether it was COVID or something else. Right. And I do I'm not a Calvinist, right. But I am, <laughs> but go ahead go ahead well but let's talk I'll talk to my my uh my calvinistic brother then and say you know you're not going to go jump off a cliff right because that's not your destiny that's not what god's right now for your life mm-hmm. right so saying well you know i'm going to do it just to be prudent and i don't want to be reckless well you'll be reckless or you won't be reckless depending on god's providential plan for your life yeah so this whole thing, I mean, I just don't even get it. I just don't understand how we got here. And why isn't the church fighting the spirit of fear? Uh, there was a, I watched a YouTube video that was making the rounds in my little town of Gainesville, Florida from Christ Community Church, Well, I probably shouldn't have named them, but I'm going to do it anyways. And they had the local epidemiologist that advises the school board and the the county commission in there, right? And this guy's all, he's wrong, more times than a stopped clock right the stop clock is right twice a day this guy's always right, wrong, right? he's always saying cases are going to spike and then they go down right, right. and then he <laughs> you know and then and he says it's going to be a terrible dark winter and then you know it's nothing right we're not going to be able to go to football games and then they pack the stadium and nothing it's going to be a super spreader and then it's not a super spreader right i mean the guy's never right but right. And the pastor turned over the pulpit to this guy for 30 minutes so he could preach fear. Mm. Yeah. What's going on? W- why? What, what's the point of that? You know, yeah. is it, is it to, you think you're like informing people to let this scientist who's always wrong. And, and by the way, all the guy says is whatever the CDC says anyways. Right. Yep. He never contradicts the CDC. So whenever the CDC changes, he changes, which raises a, a very good question. What do we need him for?
0: Yeah. What do we need him for? And, you know, nobody contradicts the CDC more than the CDC.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good one. I'm going to use that. so, so.
0: But no, I, yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah, the pastor is giving a fault. It's a false prophet. But here's, here's what's so interesting to me, you know, cause I think about like Jeremiah, you know, the false prophets, you know, that prophesied peace, peace when there is no peace. And today we, we have false prophets prophesying doom, doom when, when there is no doom, um, which which doesn't make sense, right? So you read Jeremiah and it makes sense that you know the prophets of God were usually the ones who were prophesying doom. That you know, that you need to turn from you know from the Baals and the Asherah Poles and all of your wicked ways and your false gods and idol worship uh, to Yahweh, the one true God, or judgment will come upon the land, and it will be severe because God is a jealous God. And it was this this prophecy of doom, and that was the true prophet, the one who actually spoke for God. And then the false prophets were the ones who would say peace, peace, prosperity, things are good. And then it's it's funny because you know because it, it it seems easy to detect what what the incentive might be for a false prophet to say that everything's fine. Um, because they want to continue their way of life. Um, but but then in our day, it's like the false prophets are the ones who are saying, you know, they're the, the chicken littles who are saying the sky's falling. Um, and it's not, you know, they're the boys who are crying wolf. So the false prophets are the ones who are saying doom. And so it, you have to ask, like, then what, what is the incentive? And I can't help but think that I think a lot of these false prophets, there's only a few in actuality, there's only a, a handful. Everybody else is just is just echoes. It's just ripples. It's just you know what I mean. It's just the people repeating. But but the guys who are actually the false prophets, um, it a false prophet is always going to prophesy false things that benefit him, and um, whether it's 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 positive things that are false that benefit him, like peace, peace, or whether it's negative things that are false that benefit him, like doom, doom. Um, and and then everybody else just repeats it for all of their ulterior motives because they actually believe it and are afraid for their physical safety, or because they don't believe it but they're afraid of what people will think, right? The fear of man. So all these different things. That's that's all the repeaters. All you know. But the the initial guys, the the source. I I think it's because never let a good crisis go to waste. Because because fear is. Right, so individual liberty, constitutional law, like individual liberty, public safety, like how how in the world do you get around? We have a beautiful constitution. How in the world do you get around the provisions for individual liberty that, that are laid out? You have you have to somehow talk the American people of supposedly a freedom loving people, the home of the the free, and you know uh, um, the the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? I, I don't know when we stopped being that, but the land of the free and the home of the brave, you have to somehow talk these people, brave, free freedom-loving people, to give up individual freedom to to allow some leaders, some false prophets at the top to, to have all this power um, and and do their great reset, you know, the nature, How so what, what incentive can you give people that would where they would actually cash in their precious freedoms? And I think the only thing that people tend to be willing to make that trade for is public safety individual freedom for public safety and and so you have you have to have a crisis right it climate crisis climate crisis climate crisis you know and, and a lot of it's just like it's just not believable you know and 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 then they start trying to scare you more they you know as covid starts to wane it's like clockwork right so when cases go down and they don't have as much talk, talking points with that then it, man let's let, we really need to talk about climate again you know, climate crisis, climate crisis. And 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 they've realized the climate thing doesn't do it for most people. They just don't care, right? It's not an imminent threat. And so what do they do? They always are bumping up the dates. And and I think that's like, it's 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 false prophets, and they're putting dates, they're putting numbers, they're, they're making predictions, and they don't come to pass. And like, what what do you do in the Old Testament with a false prophet who says, this is going to take place, thus saith the Lord. And he's putting words in the mouth of God, and then, and then it it, you get to that point and it doesn't come to pass we, you you don't listen to him anymore, and yet we have people who it's like they're paid to 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 conjure up false prophecies like that that's what's so crazy about you you're saying like he's always wrong. and then people are like, this guy who's been he was wrong last month he was wrong about five things this month he's wrong about seventeen things. um let's get him uh, to, to speak at this next event. It's like the more they're wrong. The more prestige they get, like in what world, right? If you had a weatherman on the news and he was wrong every single time, like he would lose his job. But that that's what makes me think, like, we got to see the bigger picture that um, it, it's not about getting the prediction right. It's about the doom. It's selling the doom in order to get the power. So they're not looking for guys with with accurate predictions. They're not looking for accurate profits. They're just looking for the scariest profits with the scariest prophecies, so that everybody will hand over their freedom with a little bit of time that they've got power, both in the Senate and in the White House, so that they can cram through $3 trillion packages with
1: universal childcare for three-year-olds. Right. I think that's but, it. But, yeah, but you know, don't you feel like it's something bigger than I mean, you're, you're attributing a very human um, incentive to this thing, right? Their, their, you know, their desire for power and uh, to build their, you know, legacy, generational wealth at the our expense, and you know, reorder society with their great reset and you know things like that. That's but, right. But it just feels like there, it, it, it's got to be more than that. So, for example, we were talking before about um, natural immunity versus uh, injection immunity, right? How many? post-injection people do you know who have gotten infected? Well,
0: I, I don't really know hardly anybody who's gotten the injection, so.
1: Oh, well, you're, you're in a good spot then. So I, <laughs> I will tell you that most of us at this point, you can read this in the, in the news, right? There's stories about breakthrough infections are all over the place. I know right. dozens of people who got COVID after getting the injections. Now, how many people do you know? that had COVID and then got reinfected? Nope. None, right? I don't know any. And so everybody, whether you're, you know, whatever side of the political spectrum that you're on or whether you're jabbed or not jabbed or whatever, we're all having the same experience in life, right? We, right. We're all seeing with our own eyes, right? With our own, our own friends and relatives, the people who are getting the injections are getting sick and the people who who had it are not getting sick. Right, but it's not. But all that experience, that real world experience, is not moving the needle at all. Yeah. Okay. And, and it puts you in mind. And, and I'm not. I'm not an end timer, okay, or anything like that. But it, it does put you in mind of that scripture from the book of Revelations about the strong delusion. Because these people seem to be deluded. Right. It seems they they cannot think clearly. They can't see what's in front of their own eyes. They can't see that people aren't dropping like flies of this COVID. Right. That's not their experience of life, but yet they believe it when these people who are trying to control them with the doom that you were talking about, when they say it with words on a screen, and these people accept it as if it yeah, were right. revelation.
0: Yeah, I think I think we're getting at two two different because I completely agree with you. I think the incentive, you know, my explanation that I was offering is saying, I think this it makes sense of the false prophets themselves, this handful of guys up here. And then what you're getting at is you you're saying what what you're so perplexed by is is not you're saying, okay, well that could be the motive for these five guys and the incentive to cram through agenda, you know, power. Um, but what I think what you've been so grieved by just as a follower of Jesus and a defender of people's rights and freedoms is just why are these you know false prophets? Like I can see why they might might say things falsely. Why is it working on everyone? Why is everyone buying it? Right? Is it seems like that's kind of what? And you're saying there's got to be something spiritual, right? You, you, there can be these human incentives and motives with the, with individuals at the top who are saying these things and maybe coming up with the initial talking points. But for everybody else who is listening and it's and it's directly contradicting their lived experience right because you know when there's the the black plague because because you you know you know one of the dead giveaways uh, a guy named Doug Wilson said this I I really enjoy him and his his commentary especially throughout all the covid stuff but he said you you know that it's bad when when you hear a bell ringing and there's a guy walking down your street saying bring out your debt right and I had the opportunity I was at a pastor's meeting uh recently just like three weeks ago, and two of the guys, they were lay elders, and so, you know, they, they weren't paid by the church. They weren't vocational pastors. They had a day job, and their day job was each of them. It was really weird because there's only like 30 of us, and there's two guys who each owned a funeral home in different in different cities, and, um, and so we talked to them, like, in the meeting. I didn't just talk to them afterwards. We, like, the guy who was leading the meeting asked them to stand up and give their testimony over the last 18 months, and they said, yeah, we... We were, uh, we were promised that business was going to be booming. And, and everyone was like, so how's it been? And they're like, same as every other year. You know, like this mini COVID does. And magically, we got rid of the flu, turns out. Right. Where'd the flu go? Yeah. You know, so, uh, so you're right. So why, so why are people curi- believing it?
1: Where's the curiosity over where the flu went? You're right. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. You're right. You know, here we've so solved. It, it we've been working on it our whole lives, and now it's right. solved. And nobody cared. Right,
0: yeah, yeah, nobody cared. No, you're absolutely right. So, so let's let's go ahead and wrap up. But what do you think? What? So, you know, I'm I'm getting at the the power incentives for the guys who are maybe behind the levers. But you're saying, but the fact that this is working, it's it's so easy to see through, and yet it is just it's working on on the masses and on the Christian masses. Um, it seems like that's your biggest concern, and, and I agree, that's a huge concern. That's one of my big concerns as a pastor, and I preach against that, and so I don't really have that in my local church. My local church knows better because I've preached on this from the pulpit and in podcasts like this. It's not a, one, once a week wasn't enough, so I ramped it up and doing other things. And and so my sheep, you know, they're Christ sheep, but the ones that I'm stewarding as a local pastor, this is not their issue. But I still am concerned for so many Christians that I hear about outside of my church. So what do you think, Jeff? What do you think is why are people falling for it? Why aren't they curious? Why aren't they poking and pressing and questioning?
1: So our savior is three things, right? The way, the something, and the life. What's the something? Truth. The truth. Where is truth today? Right? Is it in the media? No. <laughs> is it from those five guys, right, that are, that are running everything? Is it from Joe Biden? Or whoever's telling Joe Biden what to say. Right. Yeah. No. No. Where, where is it? Is it in the minds of all these deluded people? No, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. And I bet you haven't either. And I bet most of us haven't seen anything like this, this persistent, untruthful delusion that is antibiotic resistant let's say right if you've ever tried to sit down with someone and and talk them out of it what happens they don't listen right
0: you they can't, usually dig their heels in and become more convinced of you know of the other side and not not because
1: of logic but they're just like this emotional reaction yeah they they may become angry with you right which is what happens listen to this clinical levels of paranoia that's how people react when you try to convince them that their paranoid beliefs aren't reasonable then they can they become hostile and angry mm-hmm. and so i believe to answer your question what we're seeing is an epidemic a worldwide epidemic of mental illness mm-hmm. One characteristic of which is clinical levels of paranoia right? The vaccinated people believing that all the unvaccinated people are out to get them. Right? That's, that's paranoia. And schizophrenia. People who are suffering from delusions. And truth is irrelevant to them, right? A schizophrenic doesn't care what's true. Yeah, they're not even looking for the truth. Right their their brain isn't working properly. And so they've, they've constructed a whole different reality for themselves. And so to answer your question, unfortunately, because I'm an optimist, right. And I don't like to dwell on, on the negatives, but I think that what we have is a, a literal epidemic, right? Not a COVID style epidemic, a literal epidemic of mental illness. Like we have never seen before where Huge numbers of the population are clinically paranoid and possibly schizophrenic, high functioning schizophrenics. Hmm. That's what I think.
0: Wow. I have, I've heard a lot of commentary on the pandemic, Christians responses, government responses. That's the first time I've heard that. And I think that that is really insightful. I think You know, I shouldn't be smiling. I just, I I just, it was so interesting and profound when you said it, you know, it kind of caught me off guard, not, not because it was extreme, but because it, it really makes a lot of sense, but I shouldn't be smiling because that's terrible news. It's a very dangerous situation. Yeah. And so we need the church now more than ever. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need pastors to be men. To preach, to care, to love, and we need the church on Sunday to be the church, and Monday through Saturday to get out of the four walls and to be the church and to fight for people's rights and to go and visit the sick. You know it, what you were saying earlier was it, it was it was good. It was convicting even for me that not just producing content, content's important, but but beyond just that, uh, Jesus. You know, it just reminded me when you're talking about you know people dying alone because they can't be visited widows and orphans and I just thought of the words of Jesus who said like you know you you visited me when I was in prison you know you you cared for me when I was sick when I was naked you clothed me when I like when did we do this for you when you did it for the, the least of these my brothers and uh, yeah well Jeff th- thank you so much for coming on the show I think you've given me and our listeners I hope a lot to think about one more time where can my listeners find your article? Because that's why that's why I reached out to you. I read the article, and and not just me. It was actually another another member of our church. He read it. He sent it to me and other men in the church. And he was like, "Joel, you you got to read this, and you got to get this guy on your show. He like he's saying similar things to what you're saying, but but he's got even more ex- practical examples and substance. And uh, and that's what the article. What the article helped. It helped me, who was already speaking out against some of these things. It helped to substantiate more some of my arguments. So people who are already seeing things the way that you and I are, but need more—that's what that your article did. I think that's why it went viral. It wasn't just that it blew the lid off of something, but it was written like you would expect a lawyer to write something. It was just—it was very well articulated and substantiated. And uh, so, where, where can our listeners find that? And and then, lastly, where, where can they find it? And how else can they? One more time, your blog. How can they follow you?
1: Yeah. Well, it's the same answer. So if they'll go to um, my blog, which we have our own URL now, so it's www.coffeeandcovid, because you need your coffee before you have to listen to the stuff about COVID, right? Coffeeandcovid.com. And uh, you can sign up for the, the, the daily newsletter if you, if you like what you have there, but you can also go to the faith in COVID tab and then click under that. And I've got some articles under there and you will, pretty quickly find because it's, it's prominent, the, uh, what the church needs to know about COVID-19 and what to do about it. For great. sure.
0: Well, Jeff Childers, thanks again so much for coming on the show. And uh, we'll see what God does in this crazy time that we're living in. And maybe we'll get you back on sometime in the future.
1: Sounds great. This was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Great. All right. God bless. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor
0: Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of
1: God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.